Welcome to the Go Time Podcast. Go Time Podcast. With your host, Todd Martin. Welcome back to the Go Time Podcast. Um, we are we're at Free Rome Brewery in Bernie, downtown Bernie again. And we have Jeremy Affeld. How, uh, dude, I don't know how you got me into getting home-filled advantage. This <laughs> is sneaky. No, this is great, man. This is a good yeah. place to, to record, and, and uh, I like to help people out, so I'm glad you're able to come in here and do this kind of stuff because it's a fun little spot to do it in. It really is. I, like, I, I love the atmosphere in it, too. Um, so, uh, Jeremy, you have, uh, for those of you guys who don't, because I, I, a lot of the listeners on our deal – from all different backgrounds of sports and whatever else. And you, um, how many years were you in the major leagues baseball? 14 years in the major leagues, four in the minors. And you, long time. Wow, that is a long time. Yeah. Huh? And then um, three, four trips to the World Series and three World Series champions. Chips? Yep, yep. I went to the World Series at Colorado the first time, got spanked by Boston, four games and nothing. Uh, so when you when you run into that situation, you think that that's most guys don't even get to the World Series, so it's a little frustrating. But then I had a chance with the Giants to go ten, twelve, and fourteen, and uh, thankfully we won them all, which is more than anybody expects to ever win. So uh, you went from hoping you'd even get to one to winning way more than you should. So it's it's uh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's got to be so. That's got to be really cool um, to be you know to be in that. I'm just trying to imagine being on the mound at, at with that kind of we went to I took my kids to a, an Astros game they were in the playoffs a couple of years back and it was just the vibration in there was yeah. freaking crazy crazy yep. I can't imagine like trying to keep it all your crap together yeah <laughs> in that atmosphere <clears throat> you know when I first felt that uh you're it, it is very very true in the playoffs especially uh World Series is even more in- intense uh, the noise, the decibel level is very, very high. And you were in Houston. That, that's a dome. A lot of times they'll open uh, the, the, the ceiling for that. But when we were in uh, Boston and we had to open up within Boston, that was our first trip to the world, my trip ever to the World Series. And I think looking at that team, I'm going to say the only one I, I know, I'm saying the um, that was the, I don't think anybody on that team had ever been to a World Series. And really? Yeah, nobody. And so for for us to walk in in that situation, I remember running into the mound in Boston. I had played there quite a bit in the American League, but that was my first uh, time back uh, in the National League. And I remember running into that stadium and, and, and running on that mound. And the mound was literally vibrating. The noise, and there's not a lot of people. Boston, people don't understand. Boston doesn't hold. That's an old, that's, a, that's now... I think I think they're, it, it, Wrigley and Boston are the oldest stadiums. Everybody has new stadiums except for pretty much those two teams, right? Really? So Boston is still the old go-behind-the-green-monster, Babe Ruth signatures under there. Like, yeah. you, so you sign all these. You sign your signature on the, underneath there. Dude, uh, really? And, oh, yeah. And there's everybody. I mean, Stan Musial, you see Mickey Mantle, you see all these guys because they'll go back there and they <laughs> sign behind the wall. And, and, and so it's awesome, but it's – 
there wasn't a lot of the population back then obviously was different stadium development was different seats were a lot smaller a lot thinner because people were tinier uh the dugouts were literally meant for a five foot nine male so most of us now are smack you'll smack your head on the on the dugout i mean you it'll no joke like that's so crazy to even think about all that stuff like the things you don't even take into consideration on that yeah everything's developed the human being is developed and and so going out there and that thing holds i don't even think it holds thirty five thousand people so in you know in in colorado Holds almost fifty thousand, right? So you're looking at thirty some thousand. 20, I think it's thirty one thousand people can be in Boston or somewhere close to that. And the but the decibel level was so loud, the mound was you. Could, it's actually vibrating. Holy crap! And newborn babies. Um, I had a newborn at the time. Uh, Walker, my oldest son now. Uh, he was a newborn. He had to wear uh, uh, head like earmuffs. Yeah, yeah. Because to. the decibel level was too loud for a baby, and they had they had to write. The, you, you got that announcement before you got into the stadium. Everything. It, it was nuts. That had to yeah. have been freaking nuts. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um. So, I'm curious. So where'd you? So where'd you start? Like, so where did you grow up? Yeah, so I'm a military brat. Uh, really? Yep. My dad was in the Air Force. He was a bombardier for a B-52. Um, I was born in Chandler, Arizona. Didn't remember it. Still don't. I mean, it's a real quick spot. And then uh, ended I think, up. I think Chuck Norris is the only one that remembers where he was born. <laughs> yeah, only Chuck Norris. Yeah. <laughs> he was born three times, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, I um, uh, my dad was in Spokane Fairchild Air Force Base in the early 80s. That's when I kind of had my first memories of a military base. Uh, and then we went to Guam. Uh, and I spent um, second, third, and fourth grade years over there in a little island, 10 miles. I think it was it was something weird. It's like 30 miles long by 10 miles wide. Just a tiny, Strip of tiny island. Yeah. And, and I, I developed all my early fears there. That's where I got a fear of sharks. That's where I got a fear of the ocean. Um, that's where I just, I, I developed, you know, my dad was over there during the cold war. Uh, so you developed everything and through therapy, I've, I've, I've been in a lot of therapy just because I've been dealing with my own stuff and, and learning my fear of abandonment started over there. Cause my dad would leave. Right. And you would never know. I'd wake up and I'd be like, where's my dad? Mom's like, huh. I, he left. He can't tell you where you're going. Cause it was a deal he had to go do and he'd come back right and but it would be a week to two weeks to six days you never knew um so it was kind of an interesting development time in my childhood and then he got sent to castle uh in merced california uh which is basically a top gun for the air force it's no longer there so it's a i think it's a prison now but uh and so i lived in merced and that's when i really I, i i gained my love of sports little bit when I was, you know, early in my dad's Fairchild days, but you just were the, the kid that played around. And then Guam, I developed some some more baseball. I really enjoyed baseball uh, type deal. And then uh, Washington is when um, Washington is when, or excuse me, Merced, California is when I started really developing baseball and basketball. I love for those sports and soccer and um and played that and then my dad retired he retired when i was uh, in eighth grade end of my eighth grade year oh really and and then uh he spent 20 years in the military there uh he was married to my mother when they were 18 so they were and i was born when he was 22 so um, he's a young guy yeah he's young and then uh and we went back to to Spokane, Washington, which is where Fairchild was at, because he he liked the town that we lived in called Medical Lake. Bought some land, 
and put me into high school. And that's kind of where I went to high school and lived all the way until 2017 when I moved here. So kind of lived there in the off seasons. Yep. So I kind of lived there for a while. So why Bernie? You know, uh, originally, uh, my wife at the time, uh, was into horses Yeah, and her horse trainer was down here. She did the quarter horse world, uh, still does, uh, shows horses in that trail, Western pleasure type deal. Uh, and I, hunted the hill country quite a bit when i played because it was kind of a spot where you could come in the winter i like to bow hunt and you know when i got done with baseball i didn't have a lot of ability to scout and, and sit in tree stands and, and try to figure out patterns because i really love bow hunting yeah um and then uh, so i'd come down here and have a good time and and hunt some of the ranches down here and so i like the area it's like a secret little hiding place of <laughs> It is, it really and, is. And, and I would have never known what it was like unless I had to fly to San Antonio and hunt places like Uvalde and uh, in different areas like that. So I, I, I liked the look of the area. Of, te- of all the places in Texas that I would – if I was going to move to Texas, I was only going to go to the hill country. Yeah, there's I'm, not a big, I'm not a big flat guy. People don't realize, like, that that's even exi- – like, there's so many different facets of Texas. That's right. You know, you've got, like, you know, flat, you know, up by the plant, you know, panhandle, all flat. You can see the, you know, the – What's the saying? You stand on your tippy toes, you can see the back of your head. <laughs> That's right. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. And and then you've got the coast, and then you've yep. got the hill country, and then you've got you know like West Texas out desert, and you know, and then the pine trees of of East Texas. It's That's right. Like everything that you want in Texas is yep. kind of cool. Yep, I, I really liked it. Uh, and so we came down. I wanted to have more sunlight. So Washington, it's a beautiful state. Don't I mean? I lived in Spokane, Washington, which is the border of Idaho. So I lived in the mountains. Beautiful. Love the mountains. Still this day, love the mountains, but I'll visit. I don't need to shovel snow. I'll visit the snow. So, uh, and it got dark. I mean, it, it just does. It gets darker there starting in October all the way through kind of March. You're like a four or five o'clock dark. And it's I'm crazy. Wanted, I wanted to be a little bit more uh, sunshine. So, uh, this is a great place to raise the boys. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, the marriage failed after 22 years, but um, I, I loved it here. I, I love being here. I love raising my boys in, in Texas. Uh, we do, we're, out, we're outdoorsmen. We all hunt. Yeah. Uh, we golf. I'm getting them into golf more now. But yeah. I like being outside. I like the adventure of being outside, and I like the style Texas holds. And unfortunately, I got to start a brewery here. I fell in love with uh, breweries when I played in California. Uh, and I got, I was fortunate enough to be able to start one and, and I had my own idea of what I wanted it to be like. And, and, and we started and we're doing great and we're having a great time. And, and this is where the podcast studio is at. So, uh, everything's kind of, kind of fallen into place. I've well, really this, enjoyed it. This and the atmosphere here is like what this town needed. I mean, like there was nothing. So on the, on the brewery, that's really cool. It was that, um, so it's brewery, but it's also like a little pub type deal too. Yep. But there's, it's just, it's a family atmosphere and it's, and it's fun. And there's just, there's something for, there's something for the 20, 30 year old group to be able to sure. come in and, and have, you know, some, you know, have a beer around a, you know, social setting. That's, you know, it's a good social setting. That's a, kind of a cool place. <clears throat> yeah. We do a lot of stuff. We try to, so we're in an old, uh, livery barn. Yeah. Uh, so built in 1897. Uh, and, um, we kind of, we opened it back up. It was a, it was a jewelry store. Uh, and so we had to, we gutted it a little bit. We opened it up and we found out, you know, it's been a few different things since 1897, <laughs> obviously. Uh, but you know what? It's been pretty cool to open it up. I mean, we opened it up and uh, we kept a, a sign that was in one of the rafters that says not responsible due to fire or theft. I mean, that was from an old Willie's Jeep 
store in like the 30s or something, you know, and then we ripped open more of the walls. And next thing you know, we've got uh, old uh, uh, these old windows that were originally in the barn and they were behind like two levels of drywall. And we found them and I we were real careful to remove them. And I took the windows and mirrored them. And there are mirrors that are sitting next to our sinks right here, you know, by the restrooms. And, uh, you know, we've got the old rafters that are original two by eights like real two bites, which you can't find yeah. anymore. And they're exposed. Uh, we got a 8,500 square foot beer garden out back. We've got good music, good TVs. We play sports, but then we have out front where we're kind of starting to change it up. We're eventually going to have a little area where it's kind of more of a take mom on a date. We're going to be kind of fake grass and some good benches and a fire pit and some chill music. Yeah, Cause be you cool. get inside where there's sports, yeah, it can get it can get a little noisy. noisy. Yeah, and then you got the beer garden. We're gonna have music out back, but it's it is we're smoking cigars back there. Cornhole. There's gonna eventually be pickleball. So it's kind of that beer garden kind of western yeah. feel. Yeah. But man, if Mama wants, and we do good wine here as well. Uh, but you know, if Mama wants a glass of wine or a good beer, and she just wants to be, you know, I just need to. I want to relax so right have, now. Yeah, sit back and we're going to create in that environment for for them. So it, it's cool. it's all ages, all fun. My kids are here. Everybody's dog friendly. It's great. Yeah, I, I love everything about it. So it's it's been fun. Cool. Um, so um, one of the subjects that I like always to kind of talk about is um, is just kind of like the the mental aspect of like finding yourself. Um, like, how do you get yourself into mentally a place of of performance? Yeah. Right. And and I think it's it's something that like translates for business and it's for and 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 that's the thing that I'm seeing in in what you're doing right is like you see it in a couple of different facets but it's also like I'm seeing it in your business like you're passionate about your business you're passionate about you know playing playing ball and all yep. the other stuff um and and how it kind of how it kind of plays out you know in all of those all those areas so um I was curious like did you have like first of all did you have like a uh, like a like a, like a ritual, but it, it, you like, how do you get, how do you find, cause I imagine like stepping on the mound, like getting even a, in a regular game. Yeah. Right. But you know, I mean, you gotta, you gotta have the same intensity and then you gotta, the bigger thing would just be the distraction yep. of a bigger stadium, bigger vibration, bigger game, more on the line. You play it the same way as you do your, you know, whatever season you gotta, you know, you gotta throw loose and, you know, yep. with, with meaning and be able to focus. How do you find, how do you get to, the mound prepared. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, and it was a learned uh, uh, behavior, to be yeah. honest with you. It, it, you know, you start out thinking this is how I prepare when I'm younger, and you figure out it works, but then it's going to not work. And how do you stay on? Like, okay, how, what what is my routine? That I have to have, and sports psychology is developing every year. It is, isn't it? It, it is, and in all, I mean, facet. You you can talk about a baseball or or an actual like a field athlete, but then you look at the horse world; they're athletes. And what I, I I don't know enough about it, but I what I've always observed about the horse world, the reason why that's even so tough is you have two brain, you have your brain and an uncontrolled brain of a horse. They do what they. They, they can actually do what they want. Like, you, you train you it to do what it's supposed to do. to do, but they might have a spaz out, and yeah. you can't control that. And it can cost you a performance, right? Yeah. So the ability to handle failure, and, and I'm not even, I don't even like the word failure, and I'll tell you why in a moment, but um, the ability to handle when things get thrown at you that don't 
that are an uncontrollable. Yes. Is how you handle that is so much more important than how you handle a controllable. Getting that true. I mean, it's hundred percent. And that's and I think that's where the learned deal. Like you can you can it, it takes so much experience. That's to right. Be able to get to that point, right? It, that is the mentored state for me. Like when I'm trying to talk to an athlete, yeah. And it does not matter what they do, what rodeos, skiing, golfing, playing competitive dodgeball. Baseball doesn't really matter. No. Like the uncontrollable state and how you handle that is so much more important than the controllable state because the controllable state is somewhere where you get to a point where you say, okay, like this is what I need to do to perform. And, and this is what I need to, I, this is what I know. This is what I have control over. That is actually a, the most important thing for you to do. But the what wrecks you. <laughs> is getting people to snap out of the fact that they have to quit focusing on the uncontrollable. Yeah. So how they react to that, and I mean when they when I'm talking react to it, I mean don't. Yeah. But it's very hard to do. <laughs> like right? Yeah. Yeah. Like someone yeah. cuts you off in traffic, that's not your fault. And it's like, don't lose your crap. But very hard to control that. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it is a disciplined state of mind. And so what I learned when I had performance stuff is one the routine's important, which means how I visualize what I'm going to do. So there's a moment in time where you've got to relax your brain. So the first four or five innings, I watched the game, kind of pay attention to it, but didn't really get too caught up in it, right? And that fifth inning is where I'm like, okay, now I'm going to stretch. And what I've done is I've triggered my brain to say, you're about to compete, so now get butterflies start kicking in. Yeah, they do. And so one thing that a lot of competitors some never figure out is if you don't have butterflies, then quit. Oh, it's so true. If, if you can't, if you don't have, if you don't feel the nerves, if you're like, man, I just don't like the nerves. I, I you know, like, and then that makes them panic, but, but nerves are good. If you walk into it saying, I don't feel anything, then you might as well stop because you don't care. Deal. You yeah. don't care. Right. So nerves for me, when I tell these kids about nerves and, and what I've learned through my studies is nerves trigger the adrenaline glands and they trigger all the endorphins that actually make your body say, I have to focus. So, so to get into a hyper-focused state, you actually have to have nerves. You have to have it first. And if you don't have that, you'll never focus because someone that's not nervous about it anymore doesn't care enough. Therefore, they don't focus on it enough because they don't care about losing enough. No, exactly. That's why. You know, it's funny. It just made me realize something that – so I think there's such a big tie in correlation between um, like that that – the, the adrenaline and, and the adrenal glands kicking in and stuff and, and trauma too. Right. Cause they both yep. like, there's so much, there's so much tied together. That's right. right. Um, my, I noticed it in my kids. Like, so I have a couple of kids that, um, um, that have like trauma has kicked in things and, and, and they had, they experienced a lot of trauma early, early on. And so they, so during that developmental stage should be like a quiet, you know, really you know, developmental time that you shouldn't be experiencing uh, large rushes of adrenaline, right? I mean, it's not to your benefit. And then, and your body's starting to learn what, what a, you know, ideally what a homeostasis or like a, 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 a good place would be, right? So you, while you're developing, getting your norm, yep. right? And, um, and when you're getting a, a, a lot of adrenaline surges, right? at an age when you're not supposed to right. while you're developing, then that develops a norm and your body starts to 
to kick in and, you know, bring in different parts to either counter that or learn how to handle that. And that's where, so, um, so, so with my, with one of my kids, right. Is that, um, they would, um, they would cause a lot of disruption in the room. Right. Okay. And, and, and which kids. You know, kids, so right. kids. like, you know, but she would, she would thrive in it. Right. And, and what would happen was her norm was like a higher vibration to make it for an easier way to understand. Right. But it would, she, her norm was like brain, the activity going at this, this wavelength, right. Okay. Or too much of a higher vibration. And I'm like, cool down here with the you know low vibration i'm i i want to mellow is a place where i like to be sometimes right and so she would cause like create havoc to get the vibration up because that's where she felt norm so she was better off if she could get the vibration and i noticed like even like with like you start to see it with like uh guys like firemen Right, that are run into a, a burning building, and everybody's like, you know, we freak out because yeah. they're not used to that. But right. it's like that the vibration's gotten so high with a guy that has conditioned himself to handle that vibration, right? That that's where he start, starts to think and adapt, and he can slow it, slows down because it does not really slows down, it, it gets up to his vibration, his speed, right? And I think that's kind of crazy, right? That it does that, and so yeah, but that's exactly what adrenaline does is it, it'll actually slow things down yeah. so you can focus and maintain something in those vibrations that are going on is almost getting that spidey effect right like yeah. everything slows down and as you get more competitive and better and better and better it your adrenaline stays the same but everything gets slower because you've done it before your brain's done it before so it's actually somewhat like deja vu for your brain, but that's what repetition is all about in that environment. That's right. In so that cool. environment. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so that's for me, what I, for me, what I, uh, what I gained through experience and that's what you can't teach. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep doing it. And most people won't because they don't know how to handle failure. Right. And so what I learned to do in my competitive, so what I did was I said, I have to set a routine no matter if I fail or succeed, it's the same routine. So if I go out and I blow a game, I'm not going to change anything I did the day before because I blew a game. I'm going to do the same thing because then I'm going to go out and I'm going to do well. And so if you focus on, well, what did I do in my routine before that, that I did well versus my routine that I didn't do before that I did bad? Nothing. You just didn't throw the ball where you should have thrown it. But that doesn't mean that you... Did you, if you can, if you can, if I could stay, sit after a game and say, did I do everything that I could possibly do within my control to prepare myself to compete? And if I can say yes, it doesn't matter if I did good or bad. No, you don't change it just because of variable. That's right. And so for me, a failure is never a failure. I don't believe in failure. And I know you teach a lot on this stuff, but uh, failures are teachable moments. That's all they are. Yes. There's no such thing as a failure. No. There's ride the wave. Win, 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 succeed, succeed, succeed. Right. But the problem is when you get knocked on your butt, you don't quit. You say, well, why did I get knocked on my butt? Well, because you didn't do this, this, and this. Okay, I'm going to learn from that. I'm not going to just say I quit or I'm not any good. And so what I would tell a lot of people is – They'd be like, I, I'm, a, I, I'm, a, I'm not very, I'm not a good athlete, or I'm, I'm not a good baseball player. No, you're, you're, you didn't do 
good at baseball today. Yes. That doesn't mean your identity is not in your good or bad. It's your identity is in who you are as a human being. And I, I'm a, I'm a warrior. I'm a, I'm a, I, I take on storms. I dig in. I don't back down. From, I'm not a fight or flight. I'm not a flight guy. I'm a fight guy. That's who I am. So whether I do good or bad has nothing to do with who I am. It's what, it's a teachable moment if you don't do right, if you don't do good. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a ride the wave and don't overanalyze why you did good. You did good because you did these things right. It's, it's the, like the definition of embrace the suck. That's I mean, right. Like it's, so like if it exactly. sucks, but like that's fine. Embrace, that's where I you're like going to grow. I actually man. like that. Embrace the suck. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that is, that's how I did it. So I would hang out the first four or five innings because I didn't want to get too tight, which I think in competition, don't over, don't over prepare because by if you over prepare, you mentally get exhausted so, so that when you actually have to do what you're supposed to do, you're spent. You're spent. So you can't do it. So true. Relax. Like, hey, okay, so then I I figured out, okay, well, how how much time do I need to prepare for my job? That's when I start. I don't do it before it. I don't do it too late. I don't do it too early. This is when I start. So for me, it's innings. So the fifth thing's when I'd stretch. I'd stretch. I'd get my body going. i get my, my, my body started to sweat a little bit, and then my focus would start to harness in. I'll watch video a little bit when I get to the field just to know who I'm facing, scouting reports, what I need to execute on this guy. That that way I know it, but I don't really pay – once I know it, I shelve it for a little bit. And then when I'm in that fifth inning when I'm stretching, then I start, okay, fifth, sixth inning, I'm going to visualize seeing those pitches that that I already knew about, me throwing those pitches to that guy in the game, in the moment. Okay, so when you're throwing those pitches, do you throw like in your mind and you're running those 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 pitches? Are they like successful pitches, executed pitches? Like, that's so important, right? Yep. I was telling somebody the other day, like the visualization is a great tool. It's a really great tool, but you can screw that up too, right? Yep. If you visualize bad stuff, well, I go there. You go, and it's going to happen, right? The mind is super powerful, and that's what I learned a little bit on on the the, the sports psychology is if your brain thinks it's already done it, mm. it relaxes. So I see myself in the moment and making those pitches. And it doesn't and, – and at first it took me a long time because the brain has to be trained just like every other muscle. So I had to train myself, to, but to a point where all of a sudden I could actually take – it would take me five minutes. Five minutes, close my eyes, see certain pitches to that guy, be done with it, where you, it would take me 20 when I first come. I had right. to get my brain to – Quit going on rabbit trails, yeah. right? So I do oh, that. That's big, right? Yeah, the rabbit trails are are like that's the that's the hard part. That's right. That's the really hard part. It's not so much of um, it's it's training yourself to to not be distracted by the rabbit trails, like um, the what ifs. That's right. right. So what? So what if? What if he comes in and he like? Oh, stop it. Yep. You know, yep. Like you stay on track with what you're doing, right? Yep. Because the rabbit trails. It's an unharnessed mind, and and so what it is is it's noise. You have to learn to get rid of the noise because in the moment you have to be get rid of the noise. In the moment, fifty thousand people just become white noise, and I don't know what they're saying. I don't focus on it. It's just oh. actually almost almost like a sleep machine. It's there. The brain waves just kind of like okay, this is normal to hear the noise. So when did you like? So when did the first time? Do you remember the first time you experienced that where you where everything turned to white noise and it wasn't. Um it wasn't. It was white noise, and it wasn't um, a distraction. Like, like I remember, I remember like uh, going into a pen, and somebody would laugh, 
or something, and it was just like, boom, it throw me off. Right? That's right. I was thinking about somebody's laugh, or what, are they laughing at me, or you know, like internalize that. Yeah, and that's a rabbit right? trail, <laughs> yeah. and you know, it doesn't even matter if they're and then, laughing. And you've got to you. prepare for that too. Right. I mean, like if you ignore that, you know, like nobody, but it's going to take you off on that rabbit trail. So, like, was there a point where you just went like? You, you, you remember a place where you just went like, and you yeah. hit that zone or what they, what we yeah. all call? So what I, what I learned to do, and it was crazy, uh, is got present with everything. And so, and this is a key that a lot, I know veteran athletes that do not understand this yet. So what did it, and some of them, they don't know it but they learn to do it. It's an inherited thing because they yeah. just did it, but they don't understand really what's happening. Once right. I actually was conscious of what I needed to do, it happened quicker for me. So you look at playoff numbers, uh, third best ERA in baseball history in the playoffs. I've got it, right? Uh, uh, Mariano Rivera. Actually, I'm second under Mariano Rivera uh, on, on relievers. So, and people are like, what did you do different? I didn't do anything different. Well, you're, but your season numbers are good but they're not like playoff good i'm like well one the playoffs are like 10 innings worth of numbers and if i don't give up a run for 10 innings it's a zero era i got 70 innings and i'm tired and i've pitched you know four or five days in a row playoffs you get more breaks so there's different scenarios there but i said i didn't do anything different that i did in the season versus the playoffs and the problem is is never thought of it that way but a lot of athletes no matter what sport you do you change the environment based on the situation so you're in a normal rodeo that you're just like i'm going but now you're in the finals of that rodeo a lot of people are like oh it's the finals but the, no, it's not. The environment changed. You didn't. That's yeah. Like, you that's should never. Br- you should I never, never. I never thought about that. You should never change that. The same mechanics of roping or riding a bull, right. or or it's all the same, regardless if there's four guys left or if there's twenty five guys left. Yeah, you're just not. You're you're in a different environment. You are staying steady while everything else is changing. It everybody it the it, the surroundings. Everybody else is viewing it as changed. That's and right. Now they're they're changing what they're doing. You stayed consistent. That's and right. Your numbers went up. Yeah, that's right. It nothing changed. So what really? I did, what I said was, I got into a game and in the playoffs, and there's guys on first and second, or if there's guys on first or nobody on, and I look at the hitter, he's taking deep breaths at the plate more than he normally should. Oh yeah. A lot of hitters are like, <sighs> okay, but that's normal. That that. Even I would do that normal, but when I see him take two or three breaths, uh, and they're like the crowd's going, and you nuts, can see and it. He's, he's fo- I'm like, I got you. Boom, you changed. Because I don't. You put all the pressure. I'm going to throw a strike sixty feet six inches away. That's that. That's literally how far I stand from the plate. I have to throw a strike down and away. I'm going to throw a good sinker, just like I would want to throw a good sinker in the regular season. Nothing changes. The field doesn't change. The base, the the, it's still ninety feet to first base. But him it, changing made your odds go up. Yeah, because he put all the pressure on himself. His sphincter got tight, and all of a sudden he's like, you know, he's swinging stiff, and he wants to be the hero. Uh-oh. A hitter saying, "I can be a hero," and I'm like, "I'm going to throw a strike." And now you're going to overswing at something, or you're going to outthink yourself, or you're going to you're going to try to do too much. And I said, "What if I just try to be the same?" And it was better because I didn't because how I prepared for a game is the same way I prepared for a game in this regular season in the playoffs. And when you train your body to be routine oriented, 
nothing changes. And then what I learned was to become very present with the environment. So the brain gets makes you get tight because it's fighting off reality. So for me, it was like I'd be warming up and I'd look at the score. It's two to one. Yep, close game. I tell myself that. Close game. That's it. It's out now. I'm Whatever. not fighting. Don't look at the score. Don't look at the score. doesn't matter. You're overdoing your brain. Yeah. It, two to one, close game. Great. I smell popcorn. And if you're not on rabbit trails. You're actually saying, okay, I'm going with the senses. So I would take my time warming up, and I'd be like, I smell popcorn. I hear the lemonade guy go, lemonade, lemonade, lemonade. Heard it. You know, people are like, That's- you stink, Affel. That guy just thinks I stink great. <laughs> and, and I'm not consciously, I'm not, I'm not worried. I'd just be like, cool. Yeah. Now, I got. Th- I'm gonna warm up with six fastballs right here. Boom, boom, boom. Six. Okay, I'm gonna throw four curveballs. Boom, boom. Oh, I didn't like that curveball, but I. But I'm able to block out the smells. I'm able to block out the taunting. I'm able to block out all the noise because my brain has already recognized that that's there. And so, you've, there, and you've been doing it all season. That's right. And so now Just, I'm like, okay, there's the environment I'm in. Run into a game. I know it's two to one. It again. I don't get tight. I say, uh, yeah, what do I got to do right now in the moment? Where do I need to make this pitch? Because I can't control whether he swings at it. I can't control whether he pops it up, hits it on the ground. I can't control whether my fielders field it. I can only control throwing my pitch to that glove in that spot. That's what I'm focusing on. So now I don't hear the noise. I don't hear the. T- I don't feel the intensity necessarily. I I feel competitive. I feel fight or flight, right? Like that's a natural feeling, but I tell myself that. Okay. My adrenaline just went up. That's really profound, right? Because one of the things that it's – so your abilities, right, physical abilities are not a great stretch off of what, you know, somebody else that's pitching in the majors has. I mean, you you know, not saying that you're not special – (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but right now, I but, but saying, I yeah. mean, but that it's not, it's not, um, it's not like a uh, out of you know out of this world crazy difference, right? It's just that you're controlling what you're doing, what you can control, and keeping yourself as steady as you can. That's right, and control what you can control, not the variables. Yeah, because if I focus, if you. If you focus on, say, you, 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 I make a pitch and a guy hits a ground ball to second and he boots it for an error. If I focus on the fact that, dang, he just made an error. I got a guy on first now. Like, if he would have fielded that ball, I'd have one out and I'd be. Those are all oh, out of your control. But waste now, of but time now I'm, and space in your head. Yeah, and I focus on that and now I'm competing like, okay, now I really got to make this pitch because he made that error. No, I don't have to make anything. No. I get to make a pitch. I don't have to. There's no have tos. The athletes that get rid of the have tos and the I want to throw a strike. I don't have to throw a strike. I can throw a ball. Yeah, I can. I want to throw a strike. When you and I learned that from Javi Lopez, which was a reliever of mine. He actually has a sports psychology degree, and he said, "Man, there's have tos, and that creates intense tightness. And there's want tos, which relaxes. I want to throw a strike, but I don't have to. Three two count. You have to throw a strike. No, I can throw a ball, and he'll he'll go to first. Yeah." So I, I don't have to do anything. I want to throw a strike because I don't want him to go to first. So that relaxes the brain because have-tos always create this, I have to, right? And yeah. so it's all about the getting blade. that routine. A great one, too, is you get to. 
You get to. That's like, another good one. You I get just, to compete I today. I here and I get to do That's exactly right. what the heck I'm wanting to do. That's right. Being happy and doing that and not feeling like it's a, you know, that's another way to not look at the pressure. That's it. right. But I'm like, man, I get. Like how many, every person in that stands would love to be right where I'm at. That's right. And I get to be here and I get the opportunity to do this. And it's another day at the park. Because I feel like if some of the athletes get that, I get to. So, tell me if I'm wrong. When I know that horses feel you, your pressure. Oh, God. It's yeah. unbelievable how they can feel if you're tight, if you're relaxed, if you're, and they, they react to it. Yeah. Uh, which I think is amazing. I've learned that about horses. I mean, that is why they're therapeutic animals. They, yeah. they, they help you. So, for they, me. They force you to focus on yourself. That's and, right. And, oh, unless you're, you know. I, that was a long, that took me a long time to figure that part out, too. Yeah, but if an athlete, if a, if a, if a, if a, if a, if a Equestrian athlete would take into these these things into consideration of like I get to I want to I don't have to yep. I'm only focused on my controllables. There's ten thousand. It's the final four. I'm the final four guy. People out here, whatever. I, it, it, I'm just gonna ride the bull, or I'm gonna rope this cow, or I'm gonna I'm gonna come out. I'm gonna I'm gonna come off the you know like however you guys want the raining anything you do i don't i don't want to try to know i know the lingo but i'm just saying anything that you guys do in the rodeo world the horse world if you relax the horse would probably do you're not going to worry the horse is going to do what it's supposed to do oh yeah it's when you get tight that the horse is like Ugh. oh and it, so it jumps and goes early or yeah. or you know and so for me this is all part of it and it's all part of dealing with my controllables did i did i did i do my routine Yep, did it. Check. Okay. Did I visualize what I'm going to be doing? What I, what, what I need to do to to succeed? Yep, check. Okay. I'm now it's like, okay, man, I hear the arena, I hear the music, I hear whatever. Okay, I got I've already I've already heard it. Now it's done. I I I was present with it and now it's gone. Now, now I, what do I got to do? I get, I get to. Now I get to do this. <laughs> if you went through that routine, that is so yeah. You would relax and compete. And and you don't want to lose, so you you, you know that there there is that I want to compete, but competitors that can compete relaxed versus competitors that compete tight are going to be completely different people. And it's not they don't care. You're not relaxed. No. You don't care. You relax because you're like, I've already I've already done everything. My brain's ready. I Just am ready. Yeah. yeah. And then you know you're. And then there's that feeling of like, I know I'm going to win here. And there was that in the playoffs for us. I mean. There was that feeling of like I'll watch, like the other day, uh, MLB Network was on at the brewery here, and they were playing Game Seven in Kansas City. I was the Game Seven winner of of of, Ken, of the World Series when we played Kansas City. Yeah, and I was pitching, and I'm not gonna lie, I I kind of did a double take. Cause I'm not used to, I don't watch myself right. play baseball, you yeah. know. So I did a double take, and I'm watching the game, and I'm like, I knew the outcome of that game, and I was actually kind of feeling a little nervous. Like I'm like. Or I was like, dang, how did I make that pitch right there? I mean, that was a kind of a big situation. I really was not feeling very good. I know what I felt. I was hurting. My body was hurting. My eye was messed up. I wasn't seeing real. I was blurry. I'm like, how did I make that pitch? But then I was like thinking, wait a minute. That's because I'm not in that moment of I prepared for that. And I made that pitch in that situation in that big of a game with that many people because I was actually in my own little world. Yeah. And competing how I normally compete, and I'm actually comfortable in that world where watching it, 
I'm not comfortable because <laughs> I never thought about that. You yeah, know, you were not comfortable looking at it and watching it. Being yeah, yeah. in it is where you spent all your time. That was where it was relaxing, and that's where fans are like, "How do you do that?" Well, it's because you're watching and thinking, "I hope he actually comes through here." So that's you. 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 You're watching on hope. Right. I'm not hoping anything. I'm saying. I am going to make this pitch because I prepared to make it, and this is what I got to do to do it. I'm going to do it. If I go out there and say, man, I hope I make this pitch, I'm going to throw that thing dead center, and it's going to go 420 feet because I wasn't convicted in my abilities. And fans are never convicted. Fans are always hoping for their team. They're not convicted in their team. You've been listening to the Goat Time podcast with your host, Todd Martin. If you want to know more about uh, Todd Martin Performance Horses, Todd Martin, or the Go Time Podcast, you can visit us at www.toddmartin.net, N-E-T, and uh, look forward to having some coming up with some merchandise here soon um, so you guys can support the podcast with, through that. And uh, look forward to Jeremy Affeld number two coming up shortly.